Let's turn to uh, Matthew 6 this morning. I want to preach a bit of a message that uh, hopefully will stir you and hopefully encourage you. Uh, It's a message I've shared before many years ago with great gusto and enthusiasm. Um, I realized that today I could end up in prison for preaching this message. So, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I'll try and preach it with peace and calmness and enthusiasm without upsetting our friends who love following us. It says in, in uh, we've talked about it, the kingdom of God, verse uh, Matthew 6. Uh, let's start at um, verse 13. So do not lead us into temptation, God, but deliver us from evil, the evil one. How many people want to be delivered from the evil one? You know, sometimes you've got to get delivered and set free. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, deliver us, God. It's a, it's a prayer of faith, God, that I want to get delivered of the evil one. There's anything around me that would want to be a curse to me. Sometimes it can be a curse over a family and they can't understand why one after the other they pass away or one after the other they're sick, 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 never get better, never get better. Sometimes it can be a curse over your family. It's good to get that off, isn't it? Good to get that off your family and you can self-curse yourself. It's very easy to say, I hear people doing it all the time. You make me sick. (laughs) Self-cursing. So our self-talk is very important. He's saying, here, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. People say to me, can Christians have demons? I always say, define Christian. Very important, define the Christian first before we start getting into some doctrinal challenge. Uh, For yours is the kingdom, Lord, and the power. The power. I love this bit, don't you? Anything with dynamite or crackers or explosions, that's the stuff I love. Don't you? You know, when you're a kid, you ever remember Guy Fox night? You know, and you, you'd save up all year. We'd have kids that save up all year and they'd have crackers in these paper bags, you know, and they'd be carrying them around like this and they'd be letting one off at a time. Then some kid would go up behind them and light a match and the whole bag would catch fire, you know, bang! You know, it's like, I don't know how many elderly ladies' letterboxes got blown up over that time. Letterbox sales went down after Guy Fox night was cancelled. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you were there. Because it talks, I just love the power part, don't you? Can I just focus on that? I just love the power part of God, don't you? It's not all talk, it's the power. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's the power of the talk, but it's the power of God that heals us and delivers us and sets us free. You know, I'm just... Just, it just blows my mind how you can pray a prayer and decree. The Bible talks about you decree a thing that will be established. And you could decree that this family would be free. This, you know, and, so, and all of a sudden they ring you up and they say, oh, I'm just feeling so much better this week. You know, so-and-so who was sick, not sick anymore. And you think, how does that work? It's the power of God. Uh-huh. But if you're not into the power of God, then the power of God's not, you know, it's something that you have to be convinced of or persuaded of. If you've come out of a denominational church or something like that, sometimes it's not a dis- lot of di- there's a lot of discussion about the power of God, but not a lot of the power of God. And there's a big difference, true? The power of God working amongst us. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were very, very sick. Christian people, been in church for 30 years, been very, very sick. I said, come on, the only thing I can see you need in your life is a miracle. We can pray for this and pray for that. I'm just not smart enough to pray for all those technical things that only doctors know how to describe. But I said, let's just go for a miracle. Well, Pastor Stewart, I have to tell you, I don't believe in miracles. And somehow there'd been an education, a persuasiveness of a doctrinal process or whatever that is 
not allowing them to believe that. And I don't know about you, but you know, when all else fails, I'm just going to believe for a miracle. <laughs> uh-huh. When everything's going great, guess what I'm going to believe for? A miracle. <laughs> it's good in the up and good in the down to have faith. Anyway, I'm telling you, I'm getting, I'm getting too excited now. It's not, I'm not allowed to get excited in the start of the message. It's meant to be the end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, giving glory to God. There's an old saying that says this, it says that God will use any person and do anything through any person who's prepared to give him all the glory. He will do anything through that person. I love that, don't you? This is exciting, isn't it? I tell you, this is the stuff that makes you want to be a Christian. Isn't it? The power of God and the glory of God, focus of heaven and all of that sort of stuff. Man, I feel, I feel sorry for the world right now. Don't you? Don't you feel sorry for all those people missing out on such a fantastic salvation? Peter's talking about, you know, that exceedingly abundant. What did the word you? Abundant. Exciting. Abundant. What a great word. Everyone say abundant. Good. Four of you fell asleep while he was saying it. But abundant life. Hey. And then it says, amen. I love the amen. Amen's not the end of the prayer where you go, thank God we've stopped praying. Amen means so it shall be. It's like a so it shall be. Come on, the early church, the mark of the early church was boldness. Yeah, come on, not rudeness, but boldness. And we don't need to be talked in it up. We just need to live it in that powerful way. And I want to talk about that today. I'm so excited, I can't even think of the message title today. But I trust that today your faith will be increased and stirred and get the fire of God around your life again and be encouraged. Huh? John talked about this attitude. You know, the reason you're dribbling on your tie and carrying on and sucking in the corner and in some sort of rocking thing in the corner is because you're not born again. He said, you must be born again. Come on, Kens, you must be born again. That's the reality. Kens, come on, you must be born again. That's a brand new life. You're not a pumped up better person. You are a brand new creation. I am brand new. Once I was alive, now I'm dead. Now I'm alive in Him. Come on, that's the life. There's been a a cutoff. There's been a deliverance. There's been a separation from your old life. If it was so good, (laughs) why did you follow Jesus? If your life was so good, wasn't that good, was it? The good old days weren't that good. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> but we talk today about being able to get free in Jesus and we get free of the strongholds around our life, the spiritual air pockets or strongholds. A stronghold essentially is a center of influence that supports a cause. A center of influence that supports a cause. And we need in our, in, as Christians today, I've got to calm down. I'll, get, I'll upset somebody. I upset somebody. I'm upsetting you now. But we as Christians need to, to, to stand so we can stop being in our own minds, a little group on the periphery of mainstream culture, and once again be a city set on a hill that cannot be ignored. Uh-huh. And one of the fears of the world is that we have a radical theology and a cohesive membership. Our theology is radical and our membership is cohesive. So we're very dangerous. We're a threat to the world today because we have what's called a conspiracy theory. It's called Jesus is coming back. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I don't know about you, but Jesus was coming back the day he rose again, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the day he died on the cross, he was coming back. Are uh, we living in end times? We've been living in end times since Jesus <laughs> died on the cross, if you know what I mean, in that. But there's four things I don't want to leave you hang because there's four things we can, we can do. We need to stop behaving like a defending force and start acting like an invading army once again. 
Uh huh. For centuries, the Christian church influenced every part of the Western world, from politics to uh, acting to, to entertainment to education to health, everyday life. But this is no longer the case. We're no longer the mainstream. We're no longer the head. We have very quickly become the tail. And we are outsiders in a territory that was once our own. And I believe it's time to win it back. You know, time to win it back. This is where, because a stronghold by nature is set up for a defense, not for attack. It's not a stronghold if it suggests that somebody is expecting to attack it. Number two is identity. Sorry, to identify our real goal in the fight. Because you realize that if you're going to win the war, you have to rule the peace. And that's our challenge. I want to talk about that tonight a little bit more. If we're going to win the war, we have to rule the peace. A lot of people thought about winning the war, but we haven't thought about how we're going to win the peace and keep the peace uh, amongst people. Uh huh. You must have something in place once the war is finished, otherwise a vacuum occurs and everything gets sucked in it. If we're going to take down the enemy, we must focus on what, it's go- what is going to take its place. I can, can I suggest the kingdom of God? It's a great thing to take place of these things. Number three, we must realize our ultimate victory. We have to realize the devil's the accuser of the brethren. We have to realize in a lot of battles, uh huh, he has more bark than he has bite. Come on. He has more bark than he has bite. We have to realize that and we have to get a generation off being warriors back into being warriors. And that's the challenge. That's, uh, you know, years ago, if you did a warfare weekend, you know, it had to be spiritual warfare, you'd pack the joint. I reckon if I did a spiritual warfare event these days, I'd have three and a half people there. We've forgotten how to fight. We've forgotten how to stand up for what we believe in. We think that believing's enough, but it's not because the dull edge comes on our life. Before long, we're not here. Before long, we're sitting at the back. Before long, we're out the side. Before long, we're not tithing. Before long, we're not reading our Bible. Before long, we're not even praying. And at what point do we not call ourselves Christians? At what point? We're no longer believers because we don't act like believers. Hey, number four is we must destroy the strongholds that get in our way. Strongholds don't disappear because we ignore them. You cannot coexist with a stronghold. Either your stronghold will take you out or you will take the stronghold out. That's the reality. If you have a stronghold in your family, in your life or whatever it is, either you will take it out or it will take you out. Never be friendly with a stronghold over your life. And so in Genesis 1.26, it says, the Bible says in the early part of the Bible, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over all the earth and subdue it. This was the first command given to us as humans to, to be able to affect or influence our environment, to influence it and affect the environment. I think a lot of the climate change stuff that is coming on the, on the table at the moment is all because Christians have decided to try and run churches and not just control and, and affect and influence the environment in a positive way. We should be the leaders in this, not the world. The world can't do a good job of this because the only thing the world has to offer is really money. You fix things by throwing money at them. The church is, is all about people. People will fix the problem if people have the right heart and the right thing. And sometimes the best people to do stuff is volunteers because they're not in it for the money. Because eventually 
money will get hold or try and get hold of every person. Jesus said, you cannot serve me and mammon. The word mammon doesn't necessarily mean money. It's the system. The system of finance gets hold of us. The system gets hold of us. We end up serving. That's why I say to people, you know, can I say, and I've got to be, I hate, got to be so controlled in what I say these days. You know, there's a lot of other faiths that when they sign up for a job, they say, I cannot be there at such and such a time. I have to pray four or six times a day. You'll have to give me time in my contract to do that. And guess what the people are doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're signing. You have to do that. Christians go, oh, I'll work Sundays. I'll work any day you want me to work. And you don't find them in church and all of a sudden you don't find them anywhere. Because they don't stand up for what they believe in. They don't break the stronghold and say, sir, I'll work very, very hard. I'll be honest, I'll be loyal. I'm a Christian, I serve in my local church, but I cannot work on Sunday. It's my day to worship my God. It's the day to be with my people. And I need it to be influential and effective in all that God's called me to do in serving and helping you. Your business, sir, will prosper with me being here. We don't talk like that anymore. We become the tail. Where do we lose this point? But I've got to be born again. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm not ignored, but I'm wired for influence as a person. Either you will influence your culture or it will influence you. And I believe we're at a crucial point. Uh, You know, there's some people in here that will agree with me. Tommy will agree with me. That AFL is the best football game in the world. (laughs) Have I got any friends here? Got some friends. Look at them. Hundreds of them. Thousands. Look at the hands going up everywhere. We're going to have an altar call in a minute. I tell you, it's so powerful. You know, <laughs> the cats. Now we're getting out of the spirit into the flesh. Now we've got to get back into the spirit here. It's going to take a while, I think. But, you know, I understand one thing about some of these sports. You'll appreciate it no matter if you play netball. Uh, or is that that other game? I can't think. What's it called? Code. What's that other code? Uh, anyway, NRL or whatever it is. Uh, uh, you know, this is half time. You have half time. And half time, when I was playing football, was very much a time of refocusing the game. And the coach would stand there and you'd listen to the coach and he goes, you're playing well, but you could play better. I was, if you understand Aussie rules, I used to play, I'm, I was a full back player. I played full back all my life in football, all my life. One day the coach said to me, he said, why don't you go down and play full forward? Because we, we run out of a full forward player. I went down and played full forward for the last half and I kicked three goals. He goes, we've had you at the wrong end of the game. <laughs> but, but there's half time and I believe we're at spiritual half time. Well, we can take a look and take a review of how we can run back onto the field and play a different game than we've been playing. And we can start to say, well, you know, I need to retune and readjust and refocus and have a bit of an amnesty with God and say, God, I'm so sorry I have been this, I've been a sloppy Christian, but God, you're not a sloppy God. Jesus wasn't sloppy when he went to the cross. He didn't intend to go to the cross. He went to the cross. It was, he wasn't full of good intentions. Jesus' yeses were yeses and noes were noes. He was strong and he said, I want you to be my ambassador here on earth. I want you to be like me. 
Anyway, I'm getting too excited again. But how important that actually is. And so I see the three major strongholds that exist in Australia. Uh, you might have some better ones, but here's some um, really, really good ones. In Proverbs 28, 1, it talks about the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Hey, by the way, I think in Australia, God has done some great things in Australia. And I think we must not forget it. That is a great legacy that's been left for us. But we're in the middle of this, and I think it's time to be able to stir the church for more. And I believe the uh, Aussie church doesn't have the influence yet that it was born to have. Come on, Kent. Uh huh. And you measure, I think, the way of uh, your effectiveness by not how many people are really in church on Sunday. You measure your influence when people refer to you when they have to make a decision. That's the church in action. When people come and say, look, I'm thinking of making this decision. What do you think as a Christian? That's when you measure your influence. When people are asking you advice and making decisions in Australia, people are making decisions all the time without any reference to the church, without any reference to Christians. And that wasn't always the case. If you've been around born longer than five minutes, you'd realise that. But if you've been just as a young chum, you probably think, well, it's always been, it hasn't always been like this. Number one thing I think we need to get delivered of in the, you still with me today? We can change messages if you want. I can be nice. Uh-huh. Number one stronghold we need to get free of in Australia is small town thinking. We need to get free of small town thinking. Remember a story where the word went out around a small village in India where a rich man was uh, charging, offering exorbitant prices for every property and house in the region. He had one dream in life was to own a town and tell his friends about it. He bought, up, he bought everything and took the dollars and, and ran. He bought out every person in the whole town except one person, one person. Very old man who refused to sell. He lived in the centre of the town and from that day forward, whenever the rich merchant would come and to the town and show his friends uh, the town that he owned, the man would stand at his door and, and scream out at the top of his voice, if he tells you he owns the whole town, don't listen to him because I still control this little bit. And I think for many, this is what the church is today. Not this people, but those people who know the church. They have a preconceived idea that we are like an old man in mainstream culture. Passes us by, we shout out, don't listen to the devil. He says he owns the low lot, but we still own this little bit. You know, I believe I've got friends here today that have had enough of just controlling this little bit. We need to be a city set on a hill. We need to be the salt of the earth. We need to be the light of the world. H.G. Wells said this, when history judges a man, he judges it by what he's left behind to grow when he dies. By this measure, H.G. Wells says, Christ stands first and tall in all of history. We are here in his name today. And I believe if we don't take the ground, somebody else will. It's there for the taking. This is our time. Number two is we've got to get rid of political correctness. We can live in an age where political correctness confuses, is confused with the truth. It's an idea that the will of the majority represents the truth, that the past of least resistance is the best, that security comes from doing what others do. A politically correct culture compares itself to itself with itself and others agree with it. Political correctness leads to a controlled environment and a very safe environment. 
Let me tell you that a safe environment for a Christian is a very dangerous environment to be in. Political correctness dulls any sharp edge on a believer's life. 100 years from now, we'll know what was affecting us. And maybe it'll be too late. But what we know right now, we can do something with it. In political correctness, all options are equally evaded. Jesus said, sin is a disgrace to any people. Political correctness says it's important, important thing, don't step on anybody's toes. Jesus said, be careful when every man speaks well of you. Political correctness says no court higher than public opinion. Jesus said, man is to die once and thus face divine judgment. Political correctness says it feels good, do it. Jesus said, there's a way that seems right unto man, but its end is death. Political correctness says, do what you want. Jesus said, obey the commandments and live. Political correctness says, be a nice person. Help me be secure in, in tough times. Jesus said, God is my refuge and he's my strength. He's an ever-present help in any time of trouble. Can I say political correctness is not for us? It's not for us. Pioneers who are not subject to control by the environment, but subject to the Holy Ghost. That's what we need to be. Not, not one of the heroes of faith were politically correct. Elijah brought the fire of the prophets down his time. David wouldn't eat, uh, Daniel, sorry, wouldn't eat the king's food. Samuel declared the king was finished. Jesus released mankind to live the most amazing life possible. Wise man once said, the dream, no man's dreams if they have nothing in them to stir the blood of men. Dream no man's dreams if they have nothing in them to stir the blood of men. Powerful. I think the biggest challenge we've got in Australia right now is a manhood problem. It's not a problem, it's a crisis. We're living in crisis. We're men, you know, you, you hear it asked, what's a woman, what's a man? No one can answer it. Billions of dollars being spent on political arenas and no one can explain what is a woman. It's embarrassing. I can ask a five-year-old kid, they can tell me the answer to that. Jesus didn't say, if you want to follow me, I'm going to give you a cool, some cool options. No, Jesus said, deny your options and follow me. How do you break political correctness? Live a life <laughs> that risks everything. That's how you break the power of that. What we need more than strong Christians is people who know they have a right to live strong convictions. I remember Bonke, Reinhard Bonnke, who was a great evangelist through Africa. And uh, one day he was sitting in an intersection. I heard the story. He was sitting in an intersection. And he's looking across and he looked across at a Mercedes sitting on the other side waiting to, to go through the lights. And he's looking at that Mercedes. And he thought, whoa, I'd like one of those. And he said, I felt the Lord speak to me. And he said this. He said, God said to me, do you want a million dollars or a million souls? He said, I much prefer a million souls. Become one of the greatest evangelists sort of in our time. Did Reinhard Bonnke. If you've ever seen any of his crusades, it's nothing like seeing 100,000 people walk out of a crowd and come to the front and give their life to Jesus Christ. And some of those meetings that they used to have diesel trucks set in the back of those meetings. And when the 
altar calls started going out, you'd hear the diesel trucks start up. And because it took so long for the people to get from the back to the front in the meeting, they used these trucks. So they said, if you're wanting to give your life